and welcome to Worst Bestsellers, where we read about the intergenerational trauma of toxic masculinity, so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read I Know This Much Is True by Wally Lamb. Joining us to discuss this vintage Oprah's Book Club pick is Ariel, a writer and editor from New York who is not an attorney. Hi, thank you, everyone. Thank you for clarifying. We will not ask you for legal advice. <laughs> I also just want to say welcome back to Ariel. You might remember her from reading VC um, Andrews with us last year. And because she's just into trauma, into trauma and sad things happening in books, she's back. Yeah, speaking of trauma... There is a content warning for basically everything you can imagine in the world in this book. Truly, truly. All the major ones, um, rape, self-harm, mental illness. Suicide. Suicide. Child abuse, child pornography. um, Truly everything. Spousal abuse, too. Spousal abuse, yeah. Domestic violence, child abuse parentheses non-sexual um truly this book is just an overwhelming litany of content warnings so if you are not in the mood for any of that i i don't blame you but um here we are um so i i want to start with a confession although i guess it's not it's not as big of a deal as i feel like it is in my soul um so we chose this book renata chose this book um yeah let kate let me introduce it and let me let you have the hook because this is what i intended from the beginning is okay ariel and i read this book earlier in the year of our own volition because you might have heard this got adapted into an hbo miniseries starring mark ruffalo and i love mark ruffalo and ariel says she doesn't love mark ruffalo but i think she does um she has some sort of feelings about mark ruffalo and so we were like, oh, yeah, it's going to be on HBO. Like, let's read this book. And it is truly buck wild, this book. And it's 900 pages long. And just every chapter is just increasingly grim. It's just so much. And so I also, to be clear, she's not like, you know, sometimes someone will be like, hey, this is 900 pages long. Literally, the page count is 901 pages. Literally 900 pages. Yeah. Um. And so I knew, here's what I knew was true. I knew that I wanted to talk about it on the podcast. I knew that I did not want to subject Kate or any other living human to reading all 900 pages of this book, like ever, but especially now in the pandemic times, I just knew. And then I looked and there, the abridged audiobook is only six hours. And I was like, okay, I will ask Kate to listen to six hours of this. And then, and I also think this is going to be interesting because I'm very curious to hear like what was cut because so much had to be cut to get it from a 900 page book into a six hour audiobook. And that also is true of the HBO miniseries because it's six hours, it's six hour long episodes. And the miniseries, we're not going to talk about too much, I think, just because of time, but it also cuts out. I would imagine it cuts out most of the same stuff the abridged audiobook cuts out because there's so much. <laughs> like it's just an overwhelming amount of family trauma in this book and it's too much. Yeah, it is very it is very peak an important this is an important book with a capital I because a white man wrote about sadness. Yes. And that is what is important and revered. 
Yes. It it is it, it is so much. It's so much. Everything, every time, every chapter is bizarre. And if every chapter of the it's actually like closer to five and a half hours. Oh my- of audiobook you you have missed on so much and i can't wait to tell you what you missed like Uh. going by like my vague i listen to a lot of audiobook standards like i would say probably five and a half hours is in the realm of like 200 to 300 pages yeah like i mostly only listen to audiobooks when they are like six hours or less so i mostly only listen to ya books which are yeah usually under like 300 pages so it's, I mean, because I would say even some of the longer YA books, those audiobooks get up to like 10 hours. Yeah. Like this is like middle grade books are usually about five hours. So think about the length of your average upper middle grade book and then think about a 900 page novel and think about how many bonkers things must happen in the difference between those two. And think about what an editor could have told Wally Lamb. Like, if your book can survive having so much cut out of it and still be a story, maybe there's too much in your story, Wally. I don't know. What do I know? I'm just just a humble podcaster. Um, Okay, that said, as as you have gathered, this book is overwhelming. One thing I also want to say is I have consciously been trying not to call things like crazy and insane and to try to cut out my casually ableist language. It's really hard because all I want to do is just scream that this book was like fucking crazy. Like this book, like, so I'm going to try not to, but if it slips out, please know I'm trying not to, but this book has broken me a little bit. Um, that said, uh, I'm going to start by cheating a little bit, which we don't usually do, but I want to just read the wicked, but also what's cheating. Like we make the rules and I've, this is the new rule. I'm going to read the Wikipedia plot summary of this book just to give us a baseline to go off of, of like, here's the basic story. And then I want to devote more time to talking about some of these little subplots that don't make it into maybe the abridged version, because that's, that's where the true chaos lies. All right. So per Wikipedia, here's what this book is about. The novel takes place in Three Rivers, Connecticut in the early 1990s. Dominic Birdsey's identical twin, Thomas Birdsey, suffers from paranoid schizophrenia. With medication, Thomas is able to live his life in relative peace and work at a coffee stand, but occasionally he has severe episodes of his illness. Thinking he is making a sacrificial protest that will stop the Gulf War, Thomas cuts off his own hand while at a public library. Dominic sees him through the ensuing decision not to attempt to reattach the hand and makes efforts on his behalf to free him from what he knows to be an inadequate and depressing hospital for the dangerously mentally ill. In the process, Dominic contemplates his own difficult life as Thomas's brother, his marriage to his gorgeous ex-wife, which ended after their only child died of SIDS, and his ongoing hostility toward his stepfather. Dominic also displays classic symptoms of PTSD as a result of stressors in his adult life. First in Thomas' interests, and then for his own sake, he sees a therapist, Dr. Rubina Patel, a psychologist employed by the hospital. She helps Dominic come to understand Thomas's illness better and the family's accommodations or reactions to it. In the course of Thomas's treatment, Dominic is covertly informed of sexual abuse taking place in the hospital and helps to expose the perpetrators. He succeeds in getting Thomas released, but, some, but Thomas soon dies, apparently, by suicide. 
After Thomas's death, Dominic discovers the identity of their birth father, who is part African-American and part Native American, a secret their mother had shared with Thomas, but not with him. In the midst of this, Dominic is also reading the autobiography of his grandfather, Italian-slash-Sicilian-born Domenico Tempesta, which discloses details about the legacy of twins in their family. Dominic learns about himself and his mother through learning about his grandfather. He also learns that his live-in girlfriend, Joy, has been seeing a gentleman on the side, who is her bisexual half-uncle, and has also let him watch her and Dominic during sex on previous occasions. She is also HIV positive, having contracting it from her having contracted it from her secret lover. She asks Dominic to raise her baby if she dies. At first, Dominic resists, but later, after having found his way back into a relationship with his ex-wife Dessa, they decide to remarry each other and adopt Joy's daughter. The book ends with Dominic able to con- to cope with the considerable loss, failure, and sorrow in his personal and family history. You know, the first time I read that summary, that's what got me to read the book. I was like, this is too much. How does that work as a book? And now I'm reading it and I'm like, that sounds almost normal. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. It does. And uh, by the way, that also was one of the reasons why I decided to read this too, was just knowing that this book starts with Thomas cutting his hand off in a public library which, of course, as a public librarian and as a squeamish person, I was like, well, that's basically my nightmare. Um, And then this book was like, what if we took your nightmare and put 7,000 more nightmares inside of it? Would you (laughs) like that? (laughs) Also, what if we villainized the librarian for one piece of mind um, that, that, you know, she watched someone cut, like, his hand off and she's it begin it like like very early on she she goes to Dominic and she's like could you like sign this that I wasn't at fault for letting this happen and like yeah yeah it's kind of like read the room a bit but yeah but you know she's like I can't stop thinking about it and I'm like yeah absolutely and I, I don't think that was in the audiobook it's it's really just a pretty short scene but for obvious reasons I resonated with me um one thing also i want to say is i think i'm thinking of um the ian McEwen book we read was was it machines like me yeah okay um that and this i feel like they're both doing a good job of having this sort of unlikable male narrator and like you as a reader are meant to understand that this guy kind of sucks and dominic i think has a much more pronounced growth arc than mm, whatever that guy's name was in that book Um, (laughs) and but when we were talking about machines like me i remember that um kate and amy were both like no fuck this book and i was like well i think he's doing kind of a good job of like portraying this guy sucking like i just don't really want to read it and i think that's an important kind of distinction somehow and i think like maybe you know, Oprah picked this book in the 90s, I think, and it, this was published in 1998, and I think if you were, like, also a man suffering from toxic masculinity in the 90s, I think you could read this and maybe start out feeling more sympathetic to Dominic and then sort of 
I could see a reader who is like willing to go on this growth journey with Dominic. And I think we're all at a point of just being exhausted with like the shitty male narrator. And I think we all started the book with a lot less patience for Dominic than maybe was expected from Wally Lamb. Uh, I mean, thoughts, I would argue. I would argue I that. I think Wally Lamb. I, I know he's intentionally portraying like a shitty dude. But I also don't think he fully, like, comprehends. Not, I don't want to say comprehend, but, like, I don't think he fully captures the gravity of how shitty he is. Or or, or other characters, like Ray. Like, I, I don't think... Mm, like, he's yes. almost there. He's almost yes. there. But there are too many things that make me say, oh, he doesn't... It's not completely portrayed in this book. But I would argue that, like, there's there's never been a dearth of books about sad white men who learn how to be better people. And I, I just don't, I don't know, I can't, I can't give it as, I can't give as much benefit of the doubt to Wally Lamb or this book as you are, I think. Yeah, and I again, I think that's fair. And I think I again, I did not enjoy this. But I um like for example, we see from the beginning that Dominic is like very casually misogynistic and he's making all the uncasually homophobic and he's making these like gross comments. But then we contrast him and he contrasts himself with his best friend Leo, who by the way is played by Rob Hubel in the HBO version, and it's like perfect casting. And if you just imagine like a Rob Hubel type, you're there. Anyway, um so we see Dominic being like, Well, I'm not sexist because I'm not as bad as Leo. And then like nine hundred pages later, he's like, Oh, I was also being sexist. And I think that was sort of what he was going for, but it's a big mess. And I- yeah, because it also, I mean, like, between, like, the exploitation of mental illness, of AIDS, of incest, of all of these other things happening in this book, like, all of these things are very much being used to prop up this white man's journey. Correct. Yes. Correct. And one thing that's cut out from the Wikipedia entry and that was largely cut out of the show is there's a recurring theme of um him them keeping an eye on um the indian tribe in the city the waquanic i think tribe um they have always um been in the town and they're getting a casino and there's this like um the white people in town are and this i think is a sort of common narrative that you see in america where like the white people in town are like, oh, like they're going to make so much money from the casino and they don't pay taxes. And like, this isn't fair. And obviously the Indian people are like, well, you stole our land. Like, I don't need to go in and explain to you like why this is shitty. Right. Like everyone's already on board with that. Yeah. Hopefully if not Google it. Mm -hmm. Um, By the way, one thing I want to say is I, um, from what I understand, a lot of American Indian people prefer now to be called American Indian rather than Native American or to be identified specifically by their tribe, which in this case is Waquanic. So we'll try to do that. But I know that some people who grew up hearing like, oh, no, we're just calling them Native American now, then then they want to say that. But I, my understanding is largely it's not preferred at this point in time. Anyway, 
that as well that this comparing of um you know dominic's problems as a white man with the problems of the waquanic indians and then it fucking turns out he's part of the tribe and he gets to go become tribally enrolled it's such a it's it's so it's much a why it's such a why it's this so whole book much. is just like why why yes. is any of this yeah yes. it's everything like it, it just feels like wally lamb made a list of like every possible shitty taboo thing and then checked them off as he wrote the book yeah every hot button issue is just of the 90s is just like whirled in a blender and spit out into this book and then just like rained upon with a rain of repressed male tears and every single one of them is just used as a step on this man's journey like i feel like you know if if he wanted to write an issue book about one of these issues and did a good job researching it that would be one thing but instead he just takes literally everything that he can get his grubby little hands on puts it in this book and then uses it as a step in this guy's journey to becoming a better person. Yeah. And it just, the entire thing was infuriating. This book is a bowl of oops, all tragedy is serial. Yes. Just nonstop. Um, okay. So another thing that I think is largely cut from the abridged version that I want to get into is, (laughs) Uh, Dominic and Thomas's mother died um, years ago at the point of this story. Like she died when they were like in their twenties, maybe the twins um, like a a while she's been dead. And when she was dying of like, she had got her cancer diagnosis and then it took her like six months from that point to die. Like it went down pretty quickly. And in that period of time, Dominic Thomas and the stepdad Ray all are trying to like prove their love with these different gifts to her. And like Thomas makes her kind of a shitty collage, which she loves because, you know, she has a different standard for Thomas because of his mental illness. And Dominic is kind of like, well, that's a shitty collage and I can get a better gift. And he at first wants to redo her kitchen. And she's like, honey, I'm dying. I don't need a kitchen. (laughs) And He's like, okay. And then he, she's like, I want you to have this. And it was my father's, um, he was writing his own life story and he wrote it right before he died. And her father died right before the twins were born. So they've never known their grandfather. They, they never had a grandmother. Um, but she's like, he wrote his life story and he wanted his family to have it, but he wrote it in Italian and I don't know Italian I, I know a little Italian, but I don't know it well enough to read it. And you don't know Italian, but maybe you'll find a way to like read this. And I know that he would want you to have it. And so he's like, oh, my God, this is going to be my gift to my mom. I'm going to go get this translated into English and then I'll give her the translated memoirs of her dad. And then I'll have the best gift for my dying mother. <clears throat> so he goes to the local college and he meets this like very horny Italian professor named Nedra Frank. And he's like, will you translate this? Like, how much will it be? And she is, like, very, um, like, rude to him. <laughs> They're both rude to each other, honestly. It's a rude interaction 
where he's like, my mom's dying and I need this as quickly as possible. And she's like, you don't understand that translation is an art and it's a skill and you are undervaluing my labor and I am a feminist. And he's like, okay, but like how much? And she's like, uh, like a dollar a page or whatever. And then he leaves it with her. And then he will call and be like, hey, what's up with the um, translation? Like my mom is actively dying and I do want this translation, please. And she's like, you don't understand how hard it is. Like, goodbye. But then there's a snowstorm and she shows up at his house and she's like, oh, I, I knew where you lived because of the check that you wrote me to pay for translation. And like, I couldn't get home in the snow and I'm horny and let's fuck. And it's weird. And then <laughs> he's like, um, this is weird, actually. And she's like, what? Excuse me? Like, I guess you don't like feminists. Like, goodbye. And then she quits her job at the college and runs away with his grandfather's memoirs and disappears from the book for a long time. And... <laughs> Dominic is like well I guess I don't have a present for my dying mom then like my life sucks and then much later in the book much later um, when Dominic is in the hospital because god there's so much he's in the hospital because he's been working as a house painter and when he was painting this guy's house who's been like rude to him this whole time and Partly because Dominic keeps not showing up for work because he's having like family problems. And this guy's like, when are you going to paint my house? Like, I'm sick of seeing my house not painted. And so Dominic goes to work, um, even though he has previously been in a car accident, like a mild car accident. And he's a little bit hurt, but he's like, well, I got to get this guy off my dick. I'm going to go paint his house. So he's up on the scaffolding. He looks in the window and sees this guy who's been hassling him. The guy shoots himself in the head in front of Dominic. Yeah, like, he looks Dominic, if I'm remembering, he looks, like, Dominic in the eye and just, like, shoots himself. Yes! Yes, like, eye contact suicide. Like, this is what you get for not painting my house. I don't, I don't know. Yes! And then, and then Dominic is, like, so, like, literally and figuratively shook by this that he falls off the ladder and he's very badly hurt. And so he ends up in the hospital again from recovering from his fall caused by witnessing suicide. This book is so much so anyway when he's in the hospital he has this roommate in the hospital who farts a lot which is like i guess the comic relief of this book <clears throat> and but then the his farting roommate is like oh you know when you were passed out my girlfriend was here and she said or my fiance actually we got engaged like my fiance was here and she said she knew you and dominic's like well i don't have any friends because i'm just a girl like and then his girlfriend comes back and it's Nedra and she's like oh I'm into line dancing now and anyway here's your grandfather's memoir I translated (laughs) (laughs) and she's like by the way your grandfather sucks but here's his memoir and he's like oh thanks and then a farting roommate and Nedra leave the book forever after that and then a lot of the book is just like pasted in chunks of Dominic's grandfather's memoir and his name is Domenico and technically Dominic's name is Domenico also but he goes by Dominic because this is America and also because it would be even more confusing if they were both called Domenico um but so large chunks of this book are what also it's symbolic he doesn't want to be Domenico exactly Exactly. Wally Lamb knows what he's doing yes does he though I every this book I think is also designed that you could give it to like a, a comp 101 class and be like what are the themes of this book and any idiot could be like 
oh, here's a list of like repeated motifs. It's like very obvious and very easy because there's like 20 of them. And he's just like, monkeys, monkeys. (laughs) (laughs) Did you get it? Monkeys. Um, Did you get it? Italy. Did you get it? Then we're reading chunks of Domenico's memoirs. And it was just like, oh, Dominic had just started to get into therapy. And Dominic had just started to be a slightly more tolerable narrative. And then we're in Domenico, who is the worst person in the world. And he's writing this, like, extremely racist, extremely sexist, extremely self-aggrandizing memoir about, like, his own shitty childhood in Sicily. And then how he came to the U.S. with his brothers. And he was going to make a name for himself. And he was the first italian to own land in the in three rivers and like just really bragging himself up and then writing about the truly wild things that are happening around him including most iconically his brother pasquale who refuses to marry a woman because he's in a committed relationship with a monkey who is the best (laughs) the best part is the monkey fucking (laughs) <laughs> and the monkey funking is not in HBO because HBO is cowards. They wouldn't cross that line. <laughs> they are cowards. I, I have a I have a conspiracy theory that Nedra Frank never translated the memoir. I think <laughs> she made I think it was a piece of creative writing where <laughs> she wanted to fuck with Dominic's mind and she's like, here's this just out there. His grandfather was the worst man, and his his granduncle fucks a monkey, and, you know, his family's cursed, and this is what Dominic needs to hear. And it's not true, and I didn't even fucking look at the Italian uh, manuscript. I, I just want to troll this guy because I don't like him. That's I my tr- theory. I truly that's- love that theory. I'm sure that's not what Wally Lamb intended, but I hope... But the other thing, by the way, Kate, I do want to say that this book does have two canonically lesbian relationships in it. Um, and they're well, one of them is fine. One of them is his social worker at the hospital who in the HBO is Rosie O'Donnell, which is good. Um, she has a girlfriend and they have a kid and it's just like. It's very nice and not toxic, unlike most of the people <laughs> in this fucking book. But then Domenico, in his in his memoir, he has um, a, gone to New York to like seek and arrange like Italian mail at her bride, basically. And his cousin is like, "Well, here's this woman and her half sister." And oh, and originally he's like, "I need two brides, one for me and one for Pasquale, so he'll stop fucking the monkey." <laughs> um and Pasquale is like no or Pasquale might be dead at that point actually anyway there are two available brides and it turns out he only needs one and he's really horny for the hot one whose name is Ignacia and they're like okay well if you want to take Ignacia you have to take the ugly one with you whose name is is this supposed to be pronounced Persephone it's spelled like Proserpine but is that is that the same as Persephone <laughs> Proserpine? I used to know this. I used to know this. He calls her monkey, so we could just go with that. But she's a human, not a monkey. Anyway, so they're like, well, you have to take, like, the ugly one if you want the hot one. And he's like, fine. And so he takes these two women, like, back to Connecticut with him. They both hate him, obviously, because he sucks. But um, 
Ignazia does get pregnant. She has twins, but the the a boy and a girl are twins. The boy is stillborn, and the girl has a by the way, the girl has a hair lip, and that was also a recurring theme from their childhood, which is that's Dominic and um Thomas's mother. She has a hair lip, and so she was always like very shy and didn't want people to look at her, and that's a thing. So that's her. But then um, the doctor is like, hey, Domenico, your wife has a weak heart. And if she's pregnant again, she'll die. So, like, you can't fuck your wife anymore. And he's like, excuse me. Like, I'll do what I want. But then um, Proserpine, the monkey, is like, hey, you leave her alone. Like, if you are horny, just, like, come fuck me and I'll let you do it. Like, whatever. But, like, leave her alone because the doctor said she'll die. And... Somehow in this, she gets drunk and she tells him this story about how she and Ignazia, his wife, um, lived together. They grew up together in Italy and they, Ignazia had been an artist model, but he was abusive. So the monkey fed him ground glass in his food and poisoned him and he died. Like, it's just a full, like, goodbye Earl is in the middle of this book, mysteriously. And then... And the two of them were lovers and they're still being lovers in the basement of Domenico's house secretly, which he finds out and he is furious and he has um, Persephone uh, institutionalized in the newly opened mental hospital in town, which is the same place where Thomas is now. Um, And then shortly after that, Ignacia goes and drowns herself because she can't deal with this shit anymore. And so then it leaves Domenico with just his daughter, who he writes, like, the shittiest things in his book about how, you know, she has the hair lip and she is, like, deformed and just, like, blah, blah, blah. Um, Oh, also, he found out that Ignazia had had sex with somebody else before she married him. And he becomes convinced that the stillborn son was his son, but his daughter was from the sperm of the other guy. It's a mess. It's just a mess. But that's what's happening in the memoir. Um, so that, you know, those two are so much. I've said the phrase so much so many times, but I truly, I don't know how else to process this. It is just truly so much. I, I mean, I have also said so much so many times <laughs> for the same reason. Like, it's just everything about this book is a lot. And I don't. Like, if I feel like this book feels like a parody, this book feels yes. like a parody of what someone would come up with if they were like, write the plot of like a, you know, Pulitzer short with shortlist novel by an important white man about an important white man. I'm not important, but you know, important with a capital I, um, yes. you know, like, and or it's like a sad lib. Yeah. <laughs> Like fill in the blanks with the saddest thing you can think of, and then it's a book. It makes Stephen King look like he has restraint. (laughs) At least like Stephen King, most of his books, he has like a a point. He has like a scary thing. He writes that. Uh, He he does have his own doorstoppers, which I have not read, and I'm sure they're just as bad as this. But um, yeah, it also. Thank God his mother never got to see the memoir. Thank God. Imagine yeah. imagine giving this to your dying mother. My God. 
I will say in defense of like when Stephen King writes like a 700 page book, like he's not trying to be anything that he's not. You know, like I feel like because I've read a bunch of those like very, very large Stephen King books and it's like it's a fucking Stephen King book and it's a lot of a Stephen King book because, you know, no one edits him. But like it's not trying to take on the important issues of the day and show how their importance could turn a good a bad man into a good man. Like it's like, oh, a plague killed everyone and now the devil is attacking them like it's. It is what it is. <laughs> this is certainly trying to be something that it does not succeed at. It's trying to be everything. Yes. Yeah. And by the way, this this is what halfway through three quarters of the way through the bookless memoir. So it's like you're you're halfway through this book, and then they're like, "Here's another book." <laughs> yes. Um, Enjoy. It's a, it's a it's a turducken of tragedy. <laughs> In addition to the memoir, which takes us back to like the um, early twentieth century, late nineteenth century, um, we're also getting flashbacks to like Dominic and Thomas's childhood and to um, their their teenage years, and we do see that Ray is an abusive stepfather. Um, especially to Thomas and and we see how Dominic like as a coping mechanism as an also abused childhood he sort of turns on Thomas also because you know then Ray's leaving him alone and Ray's picking on Thomas at least and then he can have like a break and Dominic also clearly senses that Thomas is their mother's favorite and he is resentful of that and it's there's scenes that are very unpleasant to read but it's also like well dominic's a child and like you you get it like that if the story had just focused more on this without all of the other 700 things it probably still wouldn't be great but i think that would be better also like race incredibly abusive like i i know any amount of abuse is bad but it's not like Ray is physically abusive. Ray is emotionally abusive. Ray is a terrible person. He breaks um, uh, their mother's arm. He makes... He doesn't... This was an annoying distinction where he, like, breaks a bunch of pickle jars and the kids are stepping on glass because there's glass all over the floor. And Thomas, in the future, he's like, oh, my, my... father-in-law made us step on broken glass and dominic's like whoa 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 he didn't make us step on broken glass there was broken glass on the floor we just happened to step in it and it's like what what and the doctor's like you're you're defending your stepfather like his abuse and 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 dominic's like no but like you know, it, it's a it's a distinction. I'm like, it's it's not a distinction. He broke the mother's arm. He physically did. He made them like kneel on rice grains and like he just did a whole bunch of other and a shit. lot of emotional abuse. And um, a lot of yeah. Um, he sucks. Ray abuse. sucks. And then at the end, the book is just kind of like, well, he's mellowed out. You know, like he's he's old. Don't you feel bad for, like, him being old? 
Yes. Yeah, the book like unequivocally ends with Dominic like forgiving Ray and they reconcile. And and on one hand, like we have seen Dominic go through therapy and sort of um Dominic is clearly in a better emotional place now and and that's good and I think it can be like healthy to forgive this, but the amount that he like lets, lets Ray back into his life like you know, like, look, if your parents are abusive, you don't have to forgive them. You don't, ha- you don't owe them shit. And this book definitely, like, comes down on, like, actually, you know, Ray did come to the hospital when Dominic fell off a house. So he does kind of owe you something. It's like, well. It, there's there's not even tension. There's not even ambiguity. Like, even the voice of reason of the book, uh, Dominic's ex-wife, Dessa, is like, you only hated Ray because he was not your real father. Like, you're not your biological father. Like, no! Yes. No, that's not why Dominic hated Ray. Yeah, Ray sucks. Um, okay, and one, one last major thing that I want to get into that I think is largely alighted from the HBO and probably from the abridged version. So throughout this, Dominic has always wanted to know who their birth father was. His mom never told him. And then as he's reading the memoir and learning how truly shitty his grandfather was, he starts to suspect that, like, maybe his grandfather raped their mother and maybe he and Thomas are the product of incest. And he starts to think about, like, get really obsessed with that. And then finally, um, Ray is like, hey, I know you've asked before and I was told you I didn't know who your birth father was, but actually I do know who your birth father is. And, um... Oh, what's his first name? His last name is Drinkwater. And throughout this, we've seen the school had this other set of twins, which was Ralph and Penny and Drinkwater. And they were um, Waquanic Indian children and they were twins. And when they were in like fourth grade, when they were young, Penny Ann was raped and murdered. And so Ralph was left alone as like the only twin and he eventually dropped out of school and occasionally would just check in with Ralph and he was always like, you know, very angry and he would get in trouble at school and he would speak out in American history class and be like, um, you said that there aren't any American Indians anymore, but like I'm right here and the teacher would be a dick about it. But like, honestly, Ralph, justice for Ralph, um, but so anyway, Ralph, it turns out, is his cousin and Dominic. And also Ralph now works as a custodian at the mental hospital where Thomas was before he died. And Ralph had called Dominic and said, like, hey, don't um, don't use my name, but you should get your brother tested for HIV And then it turns out that one of the guards at the hospital has been raping a bunch of the patients there. And like a quarter of the patients at this hospital now are HIV positive. Thomas wasn't one of them. And because of Thomas's delusions, it, it was just hard. It sort of is unclear whether or not Thomas had been assaulted or not, but certainly like other patients had been. Um, And so Ralph had, um, kind of help them out even though he clearly doesn't really like dominic and then so dominic goes to ralph and he's like hey i just found out like we're cousins that's kind of cool and ralph's like you didn't know that like i knew that this whole time and thomas knew it also and dominic's like what and apparently their mom thought that dominic would be angry if he found out so she never told them and she never wanted him to know which given dominic's extreme rage issues is probably fair honestly 
Um, so, but then Ralph, like, kind of forgives Dominic, and they get to be a little friendly, and he gets to know his other um, family members on that side. And it just, like, man, Ralph, like, good for you, Ralph, but also... There's also this whole other side plot where when they're working together over the summer as college students, Dominic and his friend Leo get arrested for having pot and Leo sells out Ralph and he's like, oh, no, we got it from Ralph. You should go to Ralph. And Dominic feels bad about it. But he also is like, oh, yeah, it's from Ralph. And so they get off without a record. But Ralph gets in trouble. But then also it turns out that ralph had been being abused by his neighbors and forced to be in child pornography and so when they go to arrest him for weed they find all this child porn shit and then so his the neighbors who are doing that to ralph get arrested and and it's just like like why why is this in here that uh, (laughs) that was not a lot of that was not you're correct Mm mm-hmm yeah Wow. Because how? Because why? And and it's not in the HBO either. And again, like a lot of this you're reading and you're like, this is very dated. How are they going to put it? Like, you just can't. Like, how are you going to put this in your HBO show? And the answer is you can't and you're not going to. But it's in the book, baby. And it is, boy, a lot. Just a lot. Yeah. There's also a third uh, subplot, which did make it into the HBO series, where Ralph does not like Dominic, in addition to Dominic's personal failings, um, because Ralph's sister, Penny Ann, was like a social pariah. Everyone hated her, even the teachers. They bullied her, and she would lie, and, you know, she would steal things from the lockers. Um, And one time she didn't steal anything from a locker, but Dominic, I forgot why he did this, but he lied and said she stole some Oreos. And that was... I mean, I I think it's because he'd stolen the Oreos. And he didn't want to get in trouble. uh, That checks out. But, yeah, so he... he, The precursor to uh, selling out... uh, That's true. Selling out Petty Ann. And then she was... um, She's, like, expelled for a few days. And then... uh, That's when she was murdered. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So this was like just days before that. And then. No, no, he didn't. This is even more uh, unreasonable. He lied about the Oreos because she told him she had a pony. That's yeah. Yeah. And you told him like a harmless lie, but he was annoyed with her because he has rage issues because of his abusive home life. And then at her memorial, he made a speech about how they were friends. Yes. Very dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh, no. worse, you know what? I will go so far as to say he is worse than Evan Hansen. Oh, big time. Although maybe more has more justification than it. You know what? We don't have time to get into the dear Evan Hansen of all this book is enough on its own. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I have a lot to say that has nothing to do with this book about dear Evan Hansen, but... Yeah. We will. Bonus episode. I'm an apologist for Evan. I'm a Dear Evan Hansen apologist. We simply cannot. Uh, (laughs) Okay, the last thing we did briefly mention, but I want to talk a little bit more about Joy and just the true, the true mess of Joy, who also is a product of abuse. And so 
we see early on that Joy has her best friend Thad, who is gay, and Dominic calls him the Duchess because one time Thad made Duchess potatoes, but also it's obviously just like a homophobic nickname and he sucks. Um, but he is like, Joy is always doing, you know, that she's taking a mixology class with Thad and Dominic is just like infuriated whenever she hangs out with Thad. And then meanwhile, we're getting like little pieces of Joy's backstory where like she'd been arrested for shoplifting and when she was a, a kid, she'd been sexually abused by her half uncle, but because like she also didn't have a good child, like she didn't have a good father figure or whatever, like it's this whole messy situation. And she tends to get like, uh, she talked about like how she was so obsessed with him that she wanted to eat his fingernail so that he would be a part of her. Like joy's a mess. Um, and then, um, actually, the part about how Thad watched them have sex in their closet well, did make it to the Wikipedia summary, which I guess is fine. Oh, uh, yeah. The Wikipedia summary refers to Thad as, quote, a gentleman on the side who is her bisexual half-uncle. But that really doesn't get into the half of Joy and Thad. Um, but so she's HIV positive. They leave and she they move to California because she wants to be Cinderella at Disneyland, which obviously doesn't happen um but just all of the details about joy like every woman in this story like everyone but dominic has maybe like a more sort of compelling story and it's just like never mind let's see what this is doing to dominic yeah yeah it's yeah yeah and he's so incurious about everything around him yeah yeah um, but then, yeah, then Joy dies and Dessa and Dominic keep Joy's baby. And by the way, even in the last chapter, Dominic still sucks because when Dominic and Dessa start dating again, she's like, oh, I have tickets to a women's basketball game. Do you want to come? And he is just like, women play sports? Well, blah. And he's like a dick about women's basketball. But then they get into it and they get season tickets for women's basketball. And he's just like, I can't believe that I like women's basketball. And it's like, you've had so much therapy and you still suck dominic jesus but dessa takes him back which fine but it's just a book that relies really heavily on like the power of forgiveness you know like cut in hamilton forgiveness um you know what i mean but uh but i feel like often this forgiveness is unearned and that's the book unearned it it's like so dominic is repeatedly realizing he's a he's like he's not a good good guy like even in the flashbacks he's like wow i was aggressive um he's just and, and it's the realization that's like the end of it yeah it's like there's no there's no like active growth there's no like uh noticeable or or substantial changes it's just like wow man i have a temper and and then everyone's like, wow, you you do have a temper. Good on you for realizing that. Uh, you know, end of journey. Growth, growth grown. Growth accomplished. Yeah. And I mean, I guess, thank God, because then this book would have been like 1,800 pages if we had to. Oh, God. Yeah. I think it would have been 1,800 pages of more of the same. Ugh, yeah. But like, Dessa, D- Dessa has every reason to like not talk to him again. Yeah. Oh, by the way, we forgot one last thing, and then we gotta move on to dramatic readings. 
after Dessa and Dominic's baby died of SIDS, Dominic went out and got a secret vasectomy and didn't tell her. And that was really like the the straw that broke Dessa's back and made her want a divorce is like, that was shitty of you. And then when Joy gets pregnant, she's like, oh, we're having a baby, Dominic. And he's like, no, that's not mine because I had a secret vasectomy before I was even with you. And then that's how we learned that it's Thad's baby, which, okay. Um, but it's just this like recurring theme of his secret vasectomy. Like, Jesus, Dominic. Okay. Wait. Oh, wait, no. Can I talk about the one thing that I really wanted to see in the miniseries that they cut out? Yes. It's when, um, so Dominic used to be a high school English teacher. I, I don't know. Oh my know. god, yes. And, um. Actually, after- he was a history teacher. No, in- English? I thought English. His- history. He just also has a lot of books. Anyway. Oh, right. They they constantly drop the fact that he has a lot, has a lot of books. Mm-hmm. There's no indication that he reads them. But yeah. he, he just gets super defensive. And when people don't think he, you know. Uh, anyway, so he he goes back to school, and one day in class, he just starts crying in the middle of class, and like no one knows what to do. So they call the principal, and the principal calls the police, and the police mm-hmm. like cuff him. Like I don't know if they cuff him, but they like take him out of the school. They, they take they take him to the squad car. Yeah. He is like arrested for having emotions, and that is toxic masculinity. <laughs> that's the theme. That in case it wasn't heavy-handed enough, Dominic literally gets arrested for being a man and crying. Yes, and I mean, he's not charged with anything. I think they were just trying to get him away from like scaring the students. But he is taken away in a police car, and then after that, he quits teaching and becomes a house painter, which is symbolic. Okay. So there's still way more wax stuff in this, but we're definitely going to move on to our dramatic readings just for time reasons. Um, so our first dramatic reading is near the beginning of the book after like chapter one is Thomas cuts his hand off. So this is in reaction to that. Um, they've been getting calls from reporters and stuff. And so, um, and also when they, t- Oh God! When they took Dominic to, or when they took Thomas to be checked in at the more high security mental health hospital, Dominic got into a fight with the guards because he, of course, he did, and the guard need him in the balls, and so he has these like swollen balls now, and that's important, and you'll hear about it. And so Dominic is going to be poor, played by Ariel, and Joy will be Kate, and I'm just going to listen. Joy's pubic hairs, this neat, perfect triangle. Light brown, silky to the touch, not coarse like Dessa's. She gets it bikini waxed down at the health club. They have the world's shittiest medical plan down there. No prescription writer, no dental plan. But you can get unlimited time in the tanning booth. Get your bush trimmed for free. I watched her shimmy into her leotard, the zebra stripe one with that black thong thing to make sure your eye travels down to the right place. Sore balls or not, I was starting to come to attention. I'm like a dog around Joy. She can just walk into the room. Hi. Hi. How are you feeling? I shrugged. I guess I'll live. I got up and hobbled towards the bathroom. That goddamn guard had me walking bow-legged. Jesus, it was like the rainforest in there. Walls dripping, mirror and window fogged up. Are you working today, Dominic? Can't. 
I've got to go down there and get the thing about my brother straightened out. I started the shower, dropped out of my underwear. There was a maroon bruise on the inside of my thigh. My scrotum was swollen, blue, black and purple and blue. No way in hell I'd be able to get up and down that scaffolding over on Gillette Street. Is Gillette Street Henry Rood's house? Yep, how'd you guess? He was so nasty yesterday when he called. I was like, excuse me, but I'm not painting your house. Don't yell at me. You told him that? No, but I felt like it. Good. Next time, do it. Give him hell. The warm water soothed me. Maybe that's what I should do. Stay in the shower all day. Brother, what brother? As I stood there, my dream came back to me. The one I'd woken up to. Me and him up at Rosemark's Pond, I guess it was. Monkeys and old ladies up in the trees. Shit, man, I didn't even want to know what that meant. He'd always been a good stone skimmer, my brother. He'd always been better at that than me. When I opened the shower curtain, Joy was standing in front of our vanity, putting on eye makeup. Look at this, I said, showing her my war wound from the night before. Oh my god. Hey, Dominic? What? I was just wondering, what about Connie Chung? What about her? What should I tell her when she calls back about the interview? She needs to know one way or the other. I had to give her my work number in case she can't get a hold of you. Tell her no. Joy stood there, not getting it. Okay, fine. It's your decision. I just... You just what? Well, I just think that maybe you should talk to her first. They're doing this special on people's reactions to Operation Desert Shield. He had a reaction, all right. His reaction got him locked up in a maximum security prison. Good evening, this is Connie Chung coming to you live among the psychopaths. That ought to be great for ratings. Just hear what she has to say before you decide. She was nice, Dominic. She sounded real sympathetic. Yeah, right. No, really, she was. That thought the, That thought so, too. Wow, that's a sentence someone wrote. That? <laughs> what the fuck does he have to do with it? Nothing. He was here when she called, that's all. He answered the phone. When I got off, we were both like, oh my god, we were just talking to Connie Chung from TV. Yeah, big whoop. Look, from now on, I don't want that jerk answering our phone. Really, Dominic, just talk to her. She was real sweet. She was real sweet because she wanted something from you. Believe me, Joy, Connie Chung's not your new best friend. Um, by the way, one thing I do want to say is, uh, as I mentioned, my, my my healthy interest in Mark Ruffalo is what got me interested in this whole mess in the first place. And then in the show, they do have like near full frontal nudity of Mark Ruffalo. So I was like, oh, but then it's this scene where his balls are swollen. He's like, Joy, look how fucked up my balls are. And I was like, this is just a perfect encapsulation of this like monkey's paw wish that this whole situation is for me is like, oh, look, like you can you can look at Mark Ruffalo, but he's just showing off how swollen his balls are because he got into a fight at a maximum security mental health hospital. (laughs) I mean, they barely show his dick. They cut it off at the top of the balls. Yeah. No, I know. But, like, still. It was just, like, the whole the whole thing of it. I was like, oh. oh. Yeah, they, they had, oh, they had another opportunity to show his dick when he uh, moons the, the foreman of the job site they're working on. Not moons, but yeah. full, 
drops trow in front of the guy another subplot that that we don't have time to get into yeah we don't have time yeah and that was thomas but either way it's mark ruffalo anyway um let's move on to our next dramatic reading which is a therapy session or like not really a full therapy session it's a meeting between dominic who will be me and um lisa sheffer the social worker which is kate and dr patel who is the therapist that both thomas and dominic see and as you can tell by the name by the way this is something else that was cut but dominic and other people make multiple comments about dr patel being indian indian not native american and there's a lot about indianness happening here and it's just all like not the best just not the best the weird part the thing that worries me frankly is that they've already scheduled his hearing you know when it is the 31st the 31st of october trick-or-treat kids but that's next week lisa his medication will have barely had time to stabilize him by then He'll have been back on his neuroplastic less than three weeks. Not to mention that the 15-day observation period will be up that day. Ridiculous. How are they proposing to use our recommendations if we don't even have time to observe him and write them up? Ironic, isn't it? I'm usually complaining about how inefficient the judicial system is, but in this case, it's the efficiency that scares me. Why are they being so expedient? I'll tell you one thing. If this is some kind of bag job, if they're trying to rush this through so they can sentence him to this rat hole for another year, I'm going to raise holy hell. You know, Domenico, Hatch might be the most appropriate place for Thomas, or it might not be. That's the point. It's just too soon to call it. But I'll be honest with you. If you show up at the hearing raising holy hell, that might just be your best shot at getting him out of here. At least it'll make a statement that he's got family that cares, that his family might be willing to shoulder some of the responsibility. They might hear that if you put it right. It all depends. Depends on what? I don't know. On politics, maybe? On who, if anyone, might be pulling from the opposite direction? When I got up to go, Dr. Patel asked me if I'd wait for a minute while she returned the tape recorder to her office. She'd see me to the front entrance, she said. She'd only be a minute. Sheffer went over to her filing cabinet. She was wearing a tan suit and little matching high heels. Dressed up like that, she looked like even more of a pipsqueak. Where's your sneakers? Excuse me? Your high tops. I almost didn't recognize you in your lady lawyer disguise. You've got to dress the part for these conservative judges. Nothing wilder than Sandra Day O'Connor. You see the lengths I go to? I'm starting to. Thanks. I just hope it works. Rough session today? What? Your brother's session. You looked a little shell-shocked when I barged in here, which I apologize for, by the way. I shrugged and looked away from her. No problem. When Dr. Patel returned, she took my arm and walked me back through Hatch's liver-colored corridors, past the guard station, up to the metal detector at the front entrance. Under the halogen glare, her gold and tangerine-colored sari was almost too much to take. It was difficult for you today, and yet I hope productive. I told her I was sorry. Yes, sorry for what, Dominic? For losing it, for screaming, all those four-letter words I was letting rip back there. Your reactions, your insights have been very helpful to me, Dominic. Perhaps they'll prove crucial in the long run. One never knows. 
I think, however, that we should discontinue the practice of having you listen to the tapes of your brother's sessions. Why? I thought you said it helped. It does, but one brother's treatment should not put another brother at risk. Look, if I can help him, I want to help him. If you can learn things. I learned something very useful today. Yeah? What's that? I learned that there are two young men lost in the woods. Not one. Two. I may never find one of the the young men. He has been gone so long. The odds, I'm afraid, may be against it. But as for the other, I may have better luck. The other young man may be calling me. She's got her work cut out for her. All right. And then our last romantic reading is, of course, of course, we got to get back to the monkey fucking. (laughs) And so this is a scene from Domenico's memoirs. And I will be Domenico, the grandfather, and um, Kate will be the priest who has a has a real what's his name Guglielmo he's got a real Italian name all right why exactly do you worry that you've sent your brother's soul to hell Domenico you were there I threw the cement if I had not lost my temper I would not have angered the old priest and he would not have cursed my house then Pasquale would not have fallen after my brother Vincenzo was shot by that policeman, you stood by his bed at the boarding house and administered the sacraments to that rascal, prepared him for his journey beyond life. But poor Pasquale, I tried to interest him in a wife, Padre. Believe me, in that respect, I am clearly blameless. But all Pasquale ever wanted was that hairy creature of his. The devil himself must have sent that monkey up from hell or Madagascar. To others, I denied there was anything unnatural between them. But privately, the way those two would stare at each other? Who knows what went went on down there in the Signora's cellar? Pompino? Ditalino? For all I know, that brother of mine got down on his knees and found a way to fit his thing inside her coin of no value. Shh, shh. Lower your voice, please, Domenico. And remember, as you select your words, that we are in God's house. Scusa, Padre. Scusa, please. At the mill, bad words float in the air along with the woolen fibers. Sometimes I forget. Scusa again, Signor. Scusa to you, too, God. Forgive me. Go on, please, Domenico. Unburden yourself. In all other ways, my brother Pasquale was a decent man. Nothing at all like that hooligan Vincenzo. Quiet and shy. Eager to help. Oh, he had a stubborn streak, all right. He sometimes drank a little more than he needed to. Even without alcoholic spirits, he was... He was never quite right. Never all there. Even as a boy, he would laugh at the strangest times. Maybe it was his early work in the sulfur mines. Who knows? He was my father's Caruso, and Papa was all the time hitting him on the head for something. Maybe that's what shook up his brains. But he was never sneaky or mean-spirited, my brother Pasquale. Never perverso, either, until that she-devil of a goddamn monkey got a hold of his balls. Domenico. Excuse Padre, excuse I beg your pardon. There I go again. Ha ha. I tried to stop what was going on. Tried to arrange for a wife to distract Pasquale. Really, God cannot fault me on that score. Oh, to have not one but two brothers who bring such shame down on a father's name— What a heavy cross for an eldest son to bear. But at least Vincenzo did his funny business with humans. 
to share such a passione with a monkey and then to die without absolution. I'm not saying I'm blameless, Padre. If only I had not thrown the cement. If only... Domenico, did you ever witness your brother and the monkey perform these perverse acts? Did Pasquale ever boast or confide in you about them? Are you speculating about this or was there proof? Pasquale talked about almost nothing. You could work with him for a whole day and hear nothing come out of him except a belch after dinner. He was a private man. As for proof, one morning when I went down to the cellar to wake him up, that was my habit when we lived at the boarding house, to get him up for work when I came home to go to bed. One time I saw... I saw... Excuse, Padre, but I have never spoken about what I saw this mor- that morning. Tell me, Domenico, what you say is between you and God, who loves all sinners. Pasquale was asleep on his cot and smiling. That monkey was sitting on his belly and playing... playing with the buttons on his pants. But, Domenico, if that is the only thing... Excuse, Padre, let me finish. Pasquale had Kazuduro. The monkey was exciting him. Father Guglielmo <laughs> cleared his throat once, twice, a third time. Then for a minute or more, he was as silent as Pasquale himself. And that was your only proof? That... And the whispers of every Italiano in Three Rivers, Connecticut. One day in the street, Colo Santo the baker asked me if it was true that my brother's little monkey played the pipe for him. Gossip is the devil's work, Domenico. See, si, Padre, but when it came to my brother and that monkey, plenty of my countrymen are ready to help Satan with the job. But surely, Domenico, what you saw in the Signora's cellar is by itself no proof of sin. It is a natural thing for a man to become aroused in his sleep. See, Padre, it is a natural thing. But, of course, less natural if it happens when a monkey plays with his buttons. See, Padre, far less natural when that happens. <laughs> oh, f- oh, by the way, this one of... Th- in at least my list of top five most upsetting things in this book, after Pasquale dies, like his dying words are asking his brother to take care of his monkey. And Domenico takes care of the monkey for like a week. And then he's like, fuck this. I hate this monkey. And he goes and drowns the monkey. Anyway, that's this book. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's move on and play some Would You Rather. So I'm going to ask, would you rather be a birdsy twin, which um, that's their name. I don't know if we ever said that that's their full name. Be a birdsy twin, a Wakefield twin from Sweet Valley High, or an Arnold twin, which are the twins Mallory babysat in Mallory and the Trouble with Twins, the Babysitter's Club book. Um, I think I would rather be an Arnold twin. Um, you know, we're living in the during times right now. The Wakefield twins always have random shit going on and like con- uh, fake people faking their deaths and like weird. It's just always bizarre around them. And obviously everything about the Birdsey twins is the worst. Yes. The Arnold twins comparatively seem real chill. And I, in these during times, would like something real chill. Yeah, you could go to the mall and have a, a cool or grown-up makeover. Get some push-down socks mm-hmm. and barrettes for my hair. Mm-hmm. 
How about you, Ariel? I don't... Well, the only set of twins I know in this list are the Birdsy twins, and I don't want to be them. Mm-hmm. Could I be a Weasley twin? No. Creepy. We have not read, we have not read Harry Potter in this book. Um, uh, well, I'll give my answer, and we can see if that influences. So the Arnold twins, for the record, are like eight, and they... Um, they have a pretty chill suburban life where they're looked after by members of the Babysitter's Club. The Wakefield twins are 16 and blonde and very glamorous. Um, and I'm I'm going to choose to be a Wakefield twin um, because, I mean, they just had, they did have a lot of drama going on around them. But I could be Elizabeth, who was more chill than Jessica, and I would still get to, like, drive a sweet convertible and... You know, right on the high school newspaper about all the weird shit that happens in my town of Sweet Valley. So it probably would be as close as you'd ever get to being a fly on the wall in Riverdale. Yes. <laughs> oh, God, where is where is my gritty Sweet Valley High CW show, please? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I would just be a Wakefield twin. They sound like they got it made. Yeah, they got a pretty good life. Um, okay, this is a would you rather that we honestly didn't get into the context for, but um, Dominic and Thomas's mother always called Thomas her little bunny rabbit and Dominic her little spider monkey, which as we can see, monkeys are a fucking thing in this family. And so I just will ask, would you rather be a bunny rabbit or a spider monkey? Are we speaking of the animals themselves or for as the animals as a metaphor? I think just whatever your heart tells you. All right. If we're doing the animals themselves, I'd rather be a bunny rabbit. They're so cute. They are. I'd rather be a spider monkey. They have the most fun. Mm -hmm. They Um, get to climb trees and, I don't know, hang out with um, weird Italian guys. Yeah. I mean, that one spider monkey was in a loving relationship with Pasquale. Um, I would rather be a metaphorical spider monkey. Specifically, I would rather be Bella Swan and just hang on to Ever Cullen as he swings around trees. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And last up, would you rather, and this is another one we didn't even get into because this book is off the rails. Would you rather get the Dial Tone Lounge, which is a cool like 60s, 70s restaurant where the gimmick or bar rather bar and grill where there every table has a telephone at it and you can call the phones of other tables and talk to them and just enjoy the novelty of telephone like imagine imagine making an extra phone call for fun i know god I, well anyway you that's where dessa works and that's where dessa and dominic met um was that a real thing i didn't i i was gonna look it up i forgot to look it up was that a real thing Seems like it could have been. Yeah. I'm sure they'll make it come back soon. I guess, like, now we're all just living in our own dial tone lounges. Um, um, according to Google, it is a real thing, and they were there were several of them in Connecticut, and it looks like maybe one in Springfield, Massachusetts. Okay. Hmm. Well, terrible idea. <laughs> right. Would you rather eat there or at Steaks and Cakes, which is, of course, the fictional restaurant from Christian Mingle, the movie that serves only steaks and cakes? So sometimes making this is hard because even though, you know, I do love a steak and I do love a cake and I do love to support our precious sponsor, making 
a phone call when I don't have to make a phone call is my nightmare scenario. So I will fucking leave that dial tone lounge behind and you can find me in the weird kitchen restaurant of steaks and cakes. Yes, absolutely. A hundred percent. See you there. Oh, steaks and cakes. A hundred percent. I don't want to talk to any men. I don't have to. And the cakes looked really good. I saw Christian mingle the movie. Um, they had some legit cakes. Yeah. Yeah, they know what they're doing at Steaks and Cakes. You know, that's you just have to pick... I think Wally Lamb could learn from Steaks and Cakes. Because if you just pick two things and get really good at those two things, that's better <laughs> maybe than having a whole Cheesecake Factory menu of tragedy. <laughs> All right. Well, good game, everyone. Let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where we'll suggest things to read instead of or in addition to this book gonna say straight up not recommended do not i didn't even want kate to read this book and reading bad books is her job kind of um i don't think i don't think so the hbo series is fine it if you love mark ruffalo or if you're ambivalent about mark ruffalo (laughs) okay if you're ambivalent about him but have seen most of the things he has done if you're ambivalent about him but went to a premiere of dark waters shut up (laughs) um like it's the production it's well done it's just like why it's just like why did you make this and part of it i think is because uh, i'll link to some interviews with mark ruffalo where he's like this story really spoke to me and like mark ruffalo's brother was murdered when he was younger and obviously that has affected mark ruffalo and made him feel like this project was a good idea i you know what fine mark this is everything about this it's like it was written for Mark Ruffalo. It's because it's mm-hmm. Italian. It's political. It has two men being sad and and mad and and tortured. It's got a, a conspiracy to unravel. It's an Oprah's Book Club winner. This is this has Mark Ruffalo written all over it. It's there- everything, but I like Mark Ruffalo best when he gets to be funny. And there is zero jokes. And I know this much is true. But that's fine. It's on HBO if you want to watch it. it it's on HBO, it's yeah. That's where it is. Yeah, I mean, we have a, a list of other better Mark Ruffalo movies you can watch, like um, The Avengers is better. In The Avengers, he also plays an angry boy and a sad boy, which is the Hulk and Bruce Banner, and that's way better than this. And um, if you want Mark Ruffalo being like a lost boy with anger issues and a sibling that he's kind of like, you know, like a love-hate relationship because she's so put together and she has to take care of him and she's worried about him, uh, you can watch You Can Count on Me. Mm -hmm. And if you want a true story of systemic sexual abuse and its cover-up, you can watch Spotlight. Yeah, Spotlight's good. Um, I met Mark Ruffalo at New York Comic Con, and I thought it would be funny if I did a Spotlight cosplay. And it it was, no one knew what I was doing, and it was just weird. But that's what I did. <laughs> I'll post the picture on our website. Um, in terms of books, Ariel made the point that the spiritually closest thing to this is got to be Jonathan Franzen, but we cannot actually recommend Jonathan Franzen. But if yeah. you are in the vein where you're like, I read this and I loved it, like, fucking yeah, you're probably going to love Jonathan Franzen, too. Yeah, it's a, it's a Franzen, although Franzen uh, has a different history with the Oprah's Book Club. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Friends and Rejected. Wally Lamb leaned in. Wally Lamb had multiple Oprah's book club books. Um, it was Brandon or David Foster Wallace, but I'm not going to recommend them. Um, but for books, I would recommend, like, just, there's so much going on in this book. So, like, none of these are, like, complete matches, but they're close enough. In the Woods by Town of French, it's, like, atmospheric. It's got family secrets. It's got twins, toxic masculinity. We need to talk about uh, Kevin is about a family dealing with the aftermath of, you know, a family member committing some heinous public act. And A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara is if you only like to read um, for the purpose of seeing gratuitous, unending torture. Just no letting up. Just that's all the book is just a list of bad things happening. And for TV shows, Frasier, because it's about brothers and their gruff dad. Yes. Uh, we'll have more on our website. Yeah. One, I just want to also say anything by Louise Erdrich, who, Erdrich, who is an American Indian writer and who, like Wally Lamb, keeps writing books set in the same geographical location and that are also like multi-generational family stories. But they're just much better than this. Love, Louise Erdrich. And yeah, we'll have more up at worstbestsellers.com. Let's move on to our candy pairing where we'll say what book you could choke down to eat your feelings as you struggle with this book. Uh, My candy pairing for this book would be whatever your favorite candy is, but after someone hands it to you, they rip it out of your hand and stomp on it. And then once you start crying, they finally give you back the stomped on gross candy. Yep. My candy pairing is Taroni. I think I'm saying that right. Um, I looked it up. It's an Italian slab of nougat filled with nuts and, like, I guess dried fruit. Um, And this book is also a slab of very Italian (laughs) themes. Uh, It's hard to swallow, hard to chew, and it's a combination of things that shouldn't be in one thing. And there are apparently two types. There's a soft version and a hard version. And that plays into the motif of dualities and pairings of the book. Absolutely. Um, Mine is, there's a minor subplot in this where the social worker Lisa keeps selling candy bars as a fundraiser for her daughter's cheerleading program. But she, as a lesbian feminist, is very, like, she doesn't think her daughter should be cheerleading, but she's like, well, I'm going to support her anyway because, like, I'm her mom. And that, to me, feels like a metaphor for this is, like, is cheerleading a good idea? No, but since we're here, have a candy bar. All right. Now it is time for the Rock, Paper, Snicked, our favorite game, where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Ariel will choose which most improves the book, or she can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. Uh, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, he would be in the abridged version, and he'd be in and out in five and a half hours, and we'd thank him for his service. Mm, delicious. Um, if Wolverine were in this book, as we all know, Wolverine's very old. He's been around for a lot of historical elements. And um, historical elements, so I mean, epics, epochs, fuck. If Wolverine were in this book, he would have crossed paths with the with the Tempesta family during World War II when um, Domenico was very involved with providing uh, um, materials for the, the troops, for the war efforts, and obviously Wolverine's all about war efforts. So he somehow would have crossed paths with Domenico and he'd be like, this is a lot of toxic masculinity even for me. 
and I Wolverine is like a gold standard for toxic masculinity. <laughs> um, but so he would not want anything to do with Domenico. Instead, he would befriend Pasquale and his monkey, and he would have convinced them to move up to Canada so they could like hang out and be drinking buddies and get away from Domenico. Um, that would have saved Pasquale, who fell off a roof because of a fight with Dominic and a priest. Um, that wouldn't have happened. And so Domenico might have been a little bit less fucked up since he wouldn't have had that priest fight and wouldn't have had to see his brother die. And also Pasquale and the monkey could live a long, happy life together. I feel like the way to improve the book is to make it much, much shorter. I don't know if Wolverine would make it that much shorter. Mm-mm. So I'm going to have to go with The Rock. Yeah, that's so fair. So valid. Uh, what do we think the moral of the story is? I would say the moral of the story is that we need to stop letting straight cis white men write books about how sad straight cis white men are. So true. So true. I would say it's be nice to women or just don't be a jerk in general to people. And also don't fuck monkeys, but also don't kill monkeys. Mm-hmm. Leave monkey, leave monkeys alone. My moral, this, speaking of monkeys, my moral is don't wish on a monkey's paw to see Mark Ruffalo's dick. It's just going to come back on you and, and end up with all of this. All right. Um, speaking of animals, let's move on to Duarte's corner where my cat Duarte will share his opinions about the book. Yeah. Yeah, Duarte, look, I I think we're all better off for there not being any cats in this book. Nobody in this book is happy or well-treated. Look what happened to the monkey. Like, it is truly just for the best that this book was free of any cat content. Yeah, I mean, it just, like, with, like, the bestiality, the animal cruelty, it, it like, I would steer clear of wanting any anyone to be in this book to be honest absolutely all right but duarte thanks for your service always appreciate your opinions and uh now do any humans have any closing thoughts (sighs) this was bad i don't think wally lamb i think he's like a technically good author like i think he's like the content and this is often the problem i have with like you know the the great novelist um it, it wasn't i i didn't mind reading it the first time or half of the second time it was ridiculous it was like why are you writing this it's like find better content but he's a technically proficient writer like i, I not just technically proficient but he's like you know i i i, I wouldn't not read another one of his books once I've read like 500 other books on my list but (laughs) you know I I think he's it wasn't the style it wasn't the the writing itself that offended me he did he did bite off a lot a lot to chew here um, I would also like to toss a grain of credit to Wally Lamb because I was reading on his Wikipedia page that he's very heavily involved with um, teaching literature in prisons, which is something that I did on a volunteer basis in college and grad school. And I think it's it's very important to provide educational access in prisons. And so good for Wally Lamb. 
good for him for doing that in his real life. And also the more time he's spending teaching people um, to write their own stories, the less time he's spending writing more books like this. Win-win. Fair. (laughs) Um, Kate, did you have a closing thought? This was bad. I did not like it. It made me actively mad a lot. And it was bad. Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) Um. If you want to come share your thoughts on Wally Lamb or other issues, you can find us all over social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Worst Best Worst Bestseller spelled normally. On Twitter, we're at Worst Bestseller with no S because when we abridged the podcast, we lost the S and that whole the S's whole tragic backstory just got cut away to fit onto Twitter. Um, We also have a Goodreads group that's best accessed by going to our website, which is worstbestsellers.com and clicking on Goodreads. Oh, and we have a Discord server now, which is also best accessed by going to worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the Discord link. You guys know how links work, probably. Yes. Um, So you can find us all the places where podcasts are. Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. You know where podcasts come from. If you find us there, you should subscribe to us. And if you do subscribe, you should take a moment to rate and review us. Uh, Because when you rate and review us, it moves us up on the charts. It makes it easier for new listeners to find us. Uh, If you don't rate and review us, I'm not even going to make a joke about this. Because so many terrible things happen in this book that I could use as the basis for my joke. And I would not want any of those things to happen to you, dear listeners. (laughs) Uh, we also have a Patreon that you can locate at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Uh, Patreon is a site where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like pay our editor, pay for new equipment, pay for software to bring our website security up to date, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, pay, and ex- pay for copies of Midnight Sun because there's a long wait at the library. Yes, you did pay, pay for, for copies of yeah. Midnight Sun this time around. Pay for pay for a donation to the Quilute tribe to support them in the face of Stephanie Meyer's cultural appropriation. Hey, that that's also a th- that's a good theme. We should probably donate to something for reading. I know this much is true, also. But yes. what cause? Um, yes, but <laughs> you can go there and do that. And we have merch, and you can go to worstbestsellers.com, and you can find a link to that there as well. Um, speaking of Midnight Sun, we will be back in two weeks with Midnight Sun. I was so excited to talk about Midnight Sun. I forgot to tell you that I'm on Twitter at Renata Snacks, but that's where I am. Yes, I'm at Twitter at 14 across. Um, but yeah, Midnight Sun is up next. If you would like to join us in our pre-Midnight Sun episode book club, you can do so on the Discord server. And otherwise, uh, we will see you then in two weeks. Yeah. Um, Ariel, did you want to tell people where to find you on internet? Um, just on Twitter, um, Sondheimite, Sondheim as in Stephen, uh, I-T-E. It's, it's very good wordplay. Um, all right, Ariel, thanks for joining us. Thank you for slogging through this and for virtually holding my hand during the HBO series. It's important. Um, and yeah, again, thanks everyone for listening and so excited to talk about Midnight's on next. So excited. Bye. Bye. Bye.